Hey everybody, welcome to another episode of the Shop Notes podcast. Today is episode number 185. On today's episode, we're going to talk about useless tools, tours and visits, uh, timber management, and a design challenge idea for a project. Thanks to Epilogue Laser, they're the sponsors of today's episode. Uh, You can quickly and easily customize your woodworking projects for added beauty and value. Learn more at epiloguelaser.com. I have a couple of comments to share from a previous episode. Uh, The one where we were talking about building a trebuchet. Mm. Mm Mm-hmm. One listener from the YouTube says, Chris would say no trebuchet plans for you because you'll shoot your eye out. To wit, I was thinking perhaps with a trebuchet, though, Logan could use it for remote planting walnuts in season. That's true. Mm -hmm. Or throwing squirrels. Squirrels. (laughs) They love it. Squirrels love it. Yeah. Yeah. They jump around through trees all the time, so it's probably yep. probably just fine. Uh, another comment from one of our super fans, Puppy Doc, says, "Great podcast today. Almost makes up for missing last week. Almost. Let's not get too crazy." Wow. Mm-hmm. Several comments and thoughts today. First, trebuchet and squirrels. Logan could be on to a new breed of flying squirrels. As a sciency kind of guy, I'd be interested in that research study. Another thought of some things I'd be interested in picking your brain on during my upcoming visit, time permitting. Sharpening hand plane bit blades and restoration of old planes. I have a couple I had picked up a while ago and just haven't touched. And I know I had previously visited the Woodsmith mothership, but with the new Grizzly tools, I'd be interested in seeing what's new and chatting about the, how the changes are going. Excited to visit again and hope not to be perceived as that weird group kind of guy. Thanks, Bob. We're the weird people. Yeah. So. You can say fit right in. <laughs> yeah. So, which brings up as we get closer and closer to traveling and whatever season is to, uh, we welcome you to come tour the home office here and see the video studio and the shop photo studio and all the stuff that's going on around here. Uh, it's fun having visitors and being able to share with what we do. Just ask because we don't have, uh, a lobby per se is that you shoot us an email to let us know when you're coming and when to expect you Mm -hmm. and to make sure that there's actually people here because we have vacations and stuff too. So, and right now our photo studio is cleaned out. Mm-hmm. I don't know about a yeah. month, what it'll look like from a, a month <laughs> from now, but yeah. right yeah. now it looks pretty good. Yeah. And we just had company here. So the video studio is more or less okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's on the brink. It's, it's, on, the, it's, it's on the brink. It's teetering. Say, yeah. I saw Phil was way. working on some stuff in there this weekend and I'm like, hey, these blueprints are getting used. Yeah. 17 years later. Hey. <laughs> I'm just saying. You have lived 14. in that. Is that from this house or the old house? Old house. Okay. Yeah. All right. So I I thought it was cool what you're doing with them. I'm sure we'll get to that, but I yeah. thought it was cool. Yeah. I was 
pretty happy with how it turned out or how it's turning out. I have another one to work on. So yeah, nice. It'll be cool. All right. So I have a question mm -hmm. uh, based on a book that I've been reading recently. And it was about timber framing. Okay. And in it, uh, the timber framers in laying out their various joinery things uh, made extensive use of a plumb bob, mm -hmm. which seemed like fascinating tools to me. And then also leads to me thinking like, it would also be kind of fun to make a plumb bob. Not that mm -hmm. I would ever really use it, but it would be a fun turning project and a decorative shop item, mm -hmm. but would fall into what I would call the useless tool category. In the shop, yes. Yeah, because, and I would like to know what you guys have as perhaps useless tools where it's like, oh, I'm just holding on to something like this because I think it's super cool. They, it, it does have uses, but I'm just not ever going to really use it all that often. Mm. It's like I made that uh, uh, chalk line a couple of years ago mm -hmm. in the shape of a bird bowl. And uh, I've actually used it a couple of times, but it's more of the fact that that kind of chalk line inspired by the ink lines from Japan uh, just seemed cool. And it just mm -hmm. felt like it needed, I needed to make one and whether I end up using it or not, I learned a lot in the process and it was fun. So if you made a plumb bob, would you make it out of wood or brass or what would you do? Uh, I would probably do a combination of materials, I think, mm -hmm. you know, maybe like a brass tip and then the top part where the string comes out of and then a solid wood body of some sort. Mm -hmm. um, Lee Valley sells a plumb bob and then they have replacement tips for it, but those are, theirs are stainless steel, I think. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, that would be one option where you just turn the metal or the wood body for it. And then you could thread the, where the tip goes mm -hmm. and then do it that way. I'm open to suggestions on it. Yeah. So I have a small collection of plumb bobs that are hanging from underneath my cabinet in here. Actually, they were hanging underneath the cabinet when the cabinets were in the basement. I don't know where they're at now. Hmm. <laughs> <laughs> So if anybody uh, sees so I, a bunch of plumb bobs, yeah, if you see wild, <laughs> yeah. a wild gaggle of plumb bobs, please yeah. catch them for me. Um, I, I think that I, I think it's interesting, like an interesting, like little turning project, and I would do it all out of brass personally. I think yeah. you make some cool ones, like with a combo. I think you could right. definitely do that, but um. I think I would do it all out of brass just because I like the looks of them, I guess. Okay. Um, and I, I feel like it would be a weird, like, I feel like a plumb bob is one of those things you want it to hang exactly centered. Right. I mean, it's a, right. it's a, for as rudimentary as it is, it's a very precise piece of machining. Right. To make it. Um, so it's, and 
assuming you're using the plumb bob as a measuring tool and not just a weighted string you know what i mean because yeah you can easily just tie a rock onto a string and use that for some layout too but um so i think you i feel like you want everything to be super concentric so you want the the string point to be concentric with the body of the plumb bob and then you want the tip to be con- concentric with those right yeah so i feel like if i was trying to do it with a combination of wood and metal something's going to get off somewhere just knowing how squirrely that all gets yeah and i feel like just order of operations in my head i feel like i start with a piece of brass drill it and tap it for the top part where the string goes through so i i would tackle it from a pure brass standpoint also knowing full well that that's a little bit bigger task on a wood lathe than making it out of you know purely wood I, I'm sure you could do it. I, I think you absolutely yeah. could do it out of wood. But yeah. So it was just a thought. It was kind of fun thinking, you know, like if you had a relatively dense piece of wood that you've squirreled away for whatever mm-hmm. reason, you know, there's yeah. little leftover pieces of I of uh, ebony or. Uh, I'm thinking of somebody's lawn bowls that are in the other room here. No, they're not. I took them all, I think. Oh, no, did you really? No, no, I took no. like four of them. There's still a bunch of them. <laughs> <laughs> Some lignum vitae, yes, would work really yeah. well for it. Now, I mean, I'm I'm just Googling real quick. There are yeah. many, many wood plumb bobs. They all tend yeah. to be look like decorative type things, but there right. are. They have a Christmas ornament look to them. They do. Um, and I have I have actually a couple of Christmas ornaments over there that are identical to what some of these plumb bobs look like. <laughs> so also they're kind of they kind of look like the um what are the throwing tops that you use with the string? Oh, yeah. You wrap the string around and you throw them and a dreidel. Mm-hmm. A, a dreidel, yeah. <laughs> I don't know, is that it? Yep. Maybe. <laughs> Beyblades, is that what they are? Oh, okay. <laughs> 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 so all right then yeah anyway like i said it would just seem like a fun and it would be i think it probably also plays into my dream shop idea where it would be timber framed and to be able to yeah. use you know those kind of tools to mm-hmm. to do some of that work yeah it was funny i uh so last week i went and had dinner with um a contributing writer. I've been working with um, Luke for, gosh, we're going on two years now, trying to get this all put in place to get up and shoot a project. Um, Luke Barnett, he runs a school up in Michigan, Adrian, Michigan, called uh, the Sam Buford Woodworking School. Sam Buford Woodworking Institute, maybe? Anyways, Sam Buford. Uh, so Luke was down here on Thursday picking up a bunch of uh, bench-crafted Rubo benches. They bought 12 benches from uh, Father John, John and Jamil. Um, and so they came down. I met them over in Cedar Rapids, had dinner, um, you know, went and had drinks with them afterwards. And it was funny because Luke was really, he's, he's like huge into timber framing. He was asking oh. me. He's like, I mean, so Luke's a, uh, a, uh, Windsor chair guy. I mean, that's kind of where he cut his teeth and kind of where he made a name for himself. I mean, the guy has Windsor chairs in the Smithsonian. 
which Whoa. he points, which he pointed out. He's like, my chairs that are in the Smithsonian, I turned those on a Harbor Freight lathe. <laughs> so I <laughs> thought that was pretty awesome. But it was funny because we were talking to uh, Father John Jamil about timber framing a little bit. Um, because that's kind of Luke's like, he's like, I've like hyper fixated on this thing. Like, I think he's done courses. He's part of the timber framers guild and stuff. And uh, we're talking about it because at handworks, which uh, Benchcrafted puts on, they had a couple of timber framing people there. Um, like, I don't know if it's, a, or hold on. remembering there was many beers in this whole story. So <laughs> I'm my, my stuff's a little fuzzy, but one of the guys that was in the tent next to the Sam Buford booth, one of the guys had a timber framing guild hat on. So there was a bunch of people in or at handworks that were part of the timber framing guild. Yeah. Um, so it was, it was interesting. And, you know, we don't have a ton of timber framing here in Iowa. I think some of the older barns, maybe, yeah. um, you know, like, like the old barns, not, not like the, you know, fifties and sixties barns. Um, and I think we probably have some of those barns that were brought in from like Pennsylvania and stuff like that. Um, but we just don't have real great examples here of timber framing. So, you know, it'd be, it'd be cool to go out to like, you know, the Northeast where timber framing is a pretty big thing out there and the Northwest, you know, yeah. it'd be kind of, it'd be kind of cool. I don't, I don't know that I'd want to try to timber frame with any of our trees we have around here. Ditch cedar. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> the mighty Iowa basswood. Yeah. yeah. Maybe. <laughs> Although I've heard. What, trying to remember now where I found or read that was about using uh, that cottonwoods were used in timber framing. Yeah. Yeah. I think cottonwoods were probably regularly used because. If I have to tell, if I have to say what tree grows the straightest with the cleanest long lengths of logs, it's cottonwoods always. Yeah. I mean, they just grow like a freaking arrow straight up and they don't really branch out till they hit about 80 feet. Yeah. So I could see that. And supposedly cottonwood gets like hard as the Dickens once it dries, um, it stinks and it's heavy, it's wet. Um, it holds on to its water forever when you cut it. Um, but supposedly it gets really, really hard. Um, so, because I would, I mean, there's quite a few old barns, like in Northeast Iowa, mm -hmm. you know, where there's more of a dairy tradition than, than like a grain, yeah, you know, row crop kind of situation. So, yeah. Now, I would be interested. I've never, I've never hyper fixated on timber framing, believe it or not. So far. Uh, so yeah. far. It would be interesting to see how fast somebody could like truly like a true timber framer or a timber framing crew, how fast they could actually put up a barn. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. Is it truly faster? I don't think it is. I know it's probably more stout than right. other methods. Like if, if I'm going to frame up a shop, let's say, you know, using your example, Phil, you know, I think, yeah. I think I could probably frame up a shop a lot faster than somebody could timber frame it. Right. But I lose points on the cool factor. <laughs> so, and that's what it's really all about. <laughs> yeah. yeah that's, what we're yeah. Chasing. That's, 
Yeah. We're chasing the likes. That's what we're doing yeah. here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, like I said, it would just be more of an interesting technique to be a part of. Yeah. I mean, in, in reality, a timber framing toolkit doesn't consist of a whole lot, usually. Right. I mean, I mean, they got some really sweet, like, chainsaw mortisers or chain mortisers for, like, you know, doing big mortises and stuff if you're being lame and doing it with power tools. But, like, from a hand tool kit, there's not a whole lot there besides a couple of big slicks, maybe some corner chisels. Yeah. An auger, hand saws, and hand saws, yeah, yeah. So, plumb bob, mm-hmm. probably several varieties of plumb bob, right? Yeah. So, like I said, if anybody else has a useless tool fascination, I'd like to know what it is. For John, I believe it is the Stanley Odd Job. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Is it useless though, or is it so useful? Right. I don't know. <laughs> so useful, you don't know what to do with it. Right. It's a mystery. Yeah. You almost don't want to use it because that might be like insulting to the odd job. Right. Of all the things that it could do, you're choosing to do this with it. Yeah. I actually have one of those sitting on top of my tool cabinet over there. <laughs> it's the. Was it Lee Valley or Garrett Wade made it? Or did both of Garrett, them? Make? Garrett Wade had one, I know. Did they? Yeah. It might be the Garrett Wade one. Yeah. Hmm. Do you actually have an odd job, John? I don't think so. Oh. It's just one of those things that exists that I'm infatuated with. <laughs> All right. Just a curiosity then. I think I got the the Harbor Freight random task. It's the knockoff. (laughs) 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 All right. That's fair. Logan, do you have a category of tools? I mean I know you have one bob connection, but um I don't I, I no, I don't think so. Because for all the freaking tools I have, if I don't use them, like if they're useless, I don't keep them. Yeah. You know what I mean? So it's Mm -hmm. like, I guess I have tools that I get like on a kick on and use them for several, you know, months in a row. And then I put them away for a while and then I come back to them. Yeah. Um, But no, not really. Um, Okay. Now, I guess not off the top of my head. I don't. Yeah, because I know a lot of people, there's quite a few woodworkers that I know that have a kind of a fascination with layout tools of all sorts. Yeah. And end up with a giant variety of layout tools that may get used infrequently, Mm -hmm. but are mostly there as kind of curiosities. Yeah. I would say the, the, if I was going to say I have anything like that, I do really like folding rules. Okay. But they're not overly practical, usually. Um, I'm talking either either like the, the trifold ones, like the Stanley one that folds out and it's only maybe a mm-hmm. foot and a half or 18 inches long. 
uh, or I have a Lufkin somewhere, one of the big folding ones. It's like eight foot long and it folds into, you know, yay big or so. Yeah, the flippy floppy rules. Yeah, I do use the flippy floppy quite a bit, though, um, when I'm doing like uh, rough cutting, like when I'm kind of trying to lay out parts. I use that quite a lot. Yeah. Um, Mainly mainly because I can always find that and I don't know where my tape measures are. (laughs) So. Speaking of, in a strange twist of fate over on the shop valet here in the video studio, I can count four or five tape measures on the shelf where they belong. Coincidentally, John's yeah. pockets are empty. Yep. <laughs> For now. For now. For now, yeah. Now I know where they're at. Yeah, later mm-hmm. today, we'll do yeah. another count. Mm-hmm. So, all right. There you go. Mm-hmm. And then along the lines of the timber framing, I had a question for you, Logan, especially as like at your place now with your shop, Mm -hmm. eventually your driveway is getting relocated. Yep. And then also the back of your property has a significant amount of woods, timber Mm -hmm. area. Do you have or do you plan to create some sort of a plan for managing that? Or is it just grow wild? Grow wild, baby. So Mm -hmm. the main reason is now, okay, I'm going to preface it by saying those, I have five acres here. Okay, Those back three acres, um, three and a half technically, are in timber reserve program. Okay. So they're in the national timber reserve program, which means that I must maintain, I believe 300 stems per acre. And by maintaining, maintaining 300 stems per acre, uh, those are tax free. So those three acres are tax free, which is good because uh, Runnels happens to be a very highly taxed township. Um, now, when I had the state forester come out when we were building our house, because I was, I had some questions. Uh, the guy that that had the lot before I did, he he ran a dozer through it, okay, and he he did a majority of the clearing for where my house is and where my shop is and stuff like that. But he also was not a dozer operator, so there's a lot of trees with dozer rash on them, meaning the dozer blade caught the bottom of the tree and ripped a bunch of bark off. Oh, so so my question to the state forester was. Hey, are these trees going to survive? They're all big walnuts. Do I need to take them down? I don't really want to, yada, yada, yada. Um, so when I was talking to the forester about the timber reserve program, he's like, yeah, you got to maintain 300 uh, stems per acre. And he's like, and we definitely come out and count those stems per acre. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so it's one of those things like, he's like, look, nobody's really going to count. They go by aerial overhead. So if it looks like it's forest, it's forest. Yeah. Um, now, with that being said, I have a handful of um, cherry trees back there that are about at the maximum size they're ever going to get in Iowa. I probably could take them down. Um, but on the flip side, I also have 45 cherry logs up front that I haven't cut yet. So I'm not going to, you know, a lot of those trees, I have a giant, I have a giant uh, white oak back there. Um 
they are what the state forester calls habitat trees at this point. So they are the, you know, they're more important to the, the animals around here as habitat than they are to me as lumber. lumber. So, um, so no, I'm not, I don't, I don't ever plan on doing anything back there as far as, you know, um, I do go through and mow it about once I had a, I had a brush hog come through there last year. So he came through and cleared it out. Uh, yeah. Because I wanted to, I wanted to knock down the the floor of the the timber to kind of open it up and mainly get rid of all the flipping rose bushes that are back there. Um, but uh, then doing that allowed a lot more light to hit the ground, and then all of the freaking burr bushes grew really bad. <laughs> so <laughs> it's like. Kind of pick your poison. So, no, I do not have a plan to do anything back there or manage it in any way other than um, thin out my, you know, about a half acre that is not in timber reserve. I do need to thin that out because those walnut trees, I've already thinned it once. They've grown a bit more. I need to thin it again. Um, basically, you don't want canopies touching is the biggest thing. Yeah. Um, as soon as canopies start touching, now John can correct me if I'm wrong because he did forestry in college, right? <laughs> So right, that's twenty some years. He ago. remembers all this. Yes, <laughs> yeah, he remembers all of this. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so, from my understanding, is when the canopies are touching, you are basically you're stunting a tree at some point. You know, some way somehow a tree's getting stunted. So by thinning the trees out, giving them more room, more light is hitting the rest of the tree. It'll grow faster. So. Yeah. Thanks to Epilogue Laser, they're the sponsors of today's episode. You can quickly and easily customize your woodworking projects for added beauty and value. Learn more at epiloguelaser.com. As I say, every damn hackberry in the front of my house, those are all coming down. <laughs> Stupid tree. <laughs> Stupid trees. So if you'd like to make something out of hackberry, Logan has something for you in the yeah. next few months here. So supposedly, they're not big, though. They're, I mean, they're all like... You know, maybe, maybe basketball size. If you'd like uh, to turn a bunch of plum bobs yes, from Hackberry. Yeah. <laughs> uh, supposedly, it's funny. We had this discussion last week with Luke with the Windsor Chairs. Uh, supposedly, according to the uh, U.S. Forestry Service, Hackberry is has the best properties for steam bending. Who knew? Okay. It's a really stringy tree. I'll tell you that much. Probably why it bends really well then. Yep. Yep. It's like the celery of trees. Yeah, basically. <laughs> it's like the celery that is like four weeks past its best by date. It's just <laughs> limp and floppy. Yeah. I can see that. Yeah. There you go. Celery trees. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, clearing out the underbrush, I feel like, is a management plan. You know, that it's not just. It is. You're not yeah. just letting any random, you know, thing growing up there where it's just going to be. Because especially in town, you see some forested areas and it's just all grown up with all kinds of nonsense and trees of heaven and all that, you know. Yeah. Well, and it's it's more about – it's less about clearing the undergrowth. It's less about management in my standpoint or from my standpoint rather than opening shooting lanes for my deck (laughs) for deer. (laughs) Not really. Um, No, it was – it's one of those things that I do like. Because I think as as a timber develops, as the trees mature, because my property 40 years ago probably was all pasture. So these oh. are relatively young trees. Yeah. Um, the, the big oak obviously would have been here, um, but nothing yeah. else would have been. 
And so as a timber grows and matures, and as the canopy gets established, I feel like taking some of those, uh, the undergrowth out and opening it up will kind of suppress some of the undesirables like the rose bushes and that type of stuff. Right. A lot of, we have a lot of autumn olive as well. That's mainly what we mowed down. It wasn't actually rose bushes that we were mowing down. We don't have a ton of rose bushes here, but we have a lot of autumn olive, uh, which okay. is an invasive species here. Um, and uh, what else do we have? Buckthorn. Dogwood. We don't have any buckthorn. A lot of oh, yeah. dogwood though. Um, oh. So um, a lot of honeysuckle as well. A lot of honeysuckle. Okay. And, and it's very interesting. And I, I thought about this actually last spring, about a year ago, we had lumberjack tools out to shoot some videos and they, they um, make tools that, you know, turn the ends of a log into a tenon to make like log type furniture. So I'm like wandering through my property, trying to cut stuff to use for this video. <laughs> and I found a bunch of honeysuckle trees that are really big, like, six inch diameter and for honeysuckle really? that's huge that yeah, is huge huge and they're really straight and they're completely clear like for like six foot and i'm like i don't know if anybody's like i can't find a good example of people doing anything out of honeysuckle i've seen some spoons out of sure. honeysuckle um i know people use it as like a i don't know if they use it as an essential oil or as an incense or something like that like i feel like honeysuckle smell is something that's fairly common maybe okay. not uh but i kind of want to go wander back there with the chainsaw and, and cut a couple of pieces just to see what it turns like because i have no idea but i feel like that's the great a great opening for a short story i want to wander back there with a chainsaw yeah <laughs> or a horror story <laughs> into the woods mm-hmm. yep uh all right there you go. Mm -hmm. That's the Logan minute. Yeah. Uh, so for my design challenge that I have is I have a child in college and she loves cooking, lives in a dorm, doesn't have a lot of space. Uh, the school she goes to is probably going to remain that she's going to be in a dorm, probably her all four years. Mm -hmm. And one of the things that she's picked up from family traditions is doing like a pizza night, homemade pizzas periodically. Mm -hmm. What she's finding is that as she's cooking more for herself is having a place to store like herbs and spices. So I thought it would be cool to make her some kind of a spice rack, maybe. And I'm looking for suggestions on what it would be, because it would have to be in a dorm situation. So it's not like, not necessarily a wall mounted shelf. Like does a wall shelf make sense or a wall cabinet or like a box, like a gift box? Because We're, campus security does not like your students keeping herbs in baggies right. in the room. <laughs> <laughs> so this has to be legit. I, this has to be right. legit. 
Yeah. And I knew oregano. We, yeah. <laughs> I would I knew we would end up going down this particular yes. path, but only because we had a couple of spice cabinets recent well you mm-hmm. we did a spice cabinet for woodsmith and then dylan designed a tea cabinet for popular woodworking that happened to get propped out with spices because with, tea was way too expensive right so there's a lot of like shredded leaf material yeah so we're also kind of nerds in our family so i kind of want to have some kind of a carving on there carved letters that would say arrakis because it would be sophie's spice cabinet Mm -hmm. from dune Mm -hmm. i was i was hoping the design challenge was going to be how to convert a window air conditioner into a window pizza oven (laughs) yes there we go go. there's that also (laughs) i was going to try and just Uh, focus it a little bit more on the woodworking part so we'll start there yeah. yeah. Initially, I thought wall cabinet. I don't think so. But and I the don't. reason why is because I kind of thought that I, I, I've kind of liked um, it was in popular woodworking. The I forget what his name was, did a reproduction of Krenov's uh, pipe cabinet, you know, yeah, with like the that, slatted that door. Ken and Oren. Yeah. Yeah. Which I thought was kind of a cool look. And then being with spices to be able to have you know whatever aromas are coming out of there Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. i also want to design it around your standard grocery store spice containers you know like the little guys and then the the taller ones Mm -hmm. i don't want to get into the whole frou-frou like buying matching glass containers all of the same size you struck a nerve with me phil (laughs) (laughs) And this is com- a complete tangent, so I'm preparing everybody. That All right, you buckle in. Shut off. Shut your radio off now. <laughs> Having two different size spice containers in your kitchen cabinets is the dumbest thing in the world. And I've told my <laughs> wife that for 20 years now. Freaking A. Like, it annoys the crap out of me. Mm-hmm. So I only buy large ones. Mm-hmm. So. Right. But, but if, if you have like a like a turntable thing though in the cupboard, you can have like the tall ones in the middle and then the short ones on the outside, and you can yeah you no know, no. I got little dovetailed shelves in there that hold them all okay. up like tiered rackings. Okay, so they're um, all front row. They're all front row. Although the, to be fair, the little ones do slide under the shelf just fine. Um, see, I don't think that I without knowing your daughter's. Um, dorm layout i feel like a wall mounted one isn't as practical in a dorm now if this is more of a like she could take it with her when she gets her own place after college then it's a little different yeah um i almost feel like because going back to my dorm days we had a community kitchen yeah so it was like a you know put your flip-flops on and walk down the hall to the community kitchen where the foreign stations were studying. And then you awkwardly make your dinner while they're sitting there talking, you know? Um, so I, I almost feel like you want it to be on the go or I would want it to be on the go. So I'm thinking like a tote, like okay. a spice tote. Yeah. But I don't know what kind that is. Yeah. See, that's what I was thinking is, you know, I've seen little, uh, like tea chests, mm-hmm. you know, where it have a lift off lid, but then you're only looking at the tops of the container. So you yeah. can't necessarily see what's in it. Is that a big deal? You know, probably not. Cause you know, 
all of us have tools in drawers in our shops and we more or less know what tool is where, mm -hmm. you know, and I think it would be the same way where it's like, I know that that's going to be where the oregano is. And mm -hmm. yeah, I was so, going to say in our dorms, we weren't even allowed to hang anything on the walls. Yeah. yeah. I don't think we were. Either. And that was more of like, if I did a, a wall cabinet that it would end up sitting in a bookcase kind of a thing. Oh yeah. Yeah. yeah I'm trying um, to think, is there what, like a little apothecary like type? cabinet thing that would I don't know. be I'm, cool or yeah i'm going down the there. the route of like that remember that sewing cabinet or the sewing oh, tote that, that like was done before yeah but not go not go like end out go side out you know what i mean so instead yeah. of so like the handle in the center and then the two top the two halves like open up and out i don't yeah. know okay something like that maybe i can see that Because I was thinking you'd, you know, I could do it like in a, like a campaign furniture style. Yeah. Or uh, for the deep cut in uh, the Half-Blood Prince movie, Professor Slughorn has a little portable chest that opens up and there's mm -hmm. some drawers and shelves on there. And if I did something like that. Yeah, that's what kind of what I was thinking. Like that seems like an apothecary little yeah, cabinet yeah. type thing. Hmm. Yeah. All good ideas. You know, Woodsmith did one a few years ago where it was on a lazy Susan and all the spice bottles were kind of leaning in on an angle, which is an option, but then it's like always on display makes mm -hmm. I mean, unless you, you know, put a turned handle on it or something like that, it's not as easy to carry around. So, so I'm looking for ideas. So if anybody has anything, they feel free to email them or put them in the comment section. That would be, that would be helpful. That's my, that's my design challenge for today. And then Logan alluded to earlier a uh, project that I'm working on, and I'll probably share in the next podcast when I have it more complete, is uh, I have a set of blueprints from our first house, which was a 1920s era bungalow from in Des Moines here. And the one that I'm working on has kind of like the front and side elevations of the house. And then the other sheet is the uh, has some of the interior living room woodwork i think is a fireplace and um like one of the built-ins the colonnade that separates the living room from the dining room so i made some mdf backers that i'm going to that i'm applying that those blueprints to and then behind it has kind of like a step back i'll do a framework of some oak to give it some depth let's call it what it is your mod podge in it i am yeah it's 100 uh, it's pretty yeah. awesome it worked out really well because they were they've been so curly yes they've like, been rolled up in a tube since yeah. the house was built in the 20s 1920s yeah. and i think i feel like you tried to flatten them multiple times and they just kind of curled back together 
Yeah. So. So. Yeah, I went the full Mod Podge route. I'm not ashamed yep. to admit that. That's. <laughs> uh, nope. It worked it's, well. It's kind of amazing on how nice it works. So. So yeah, I'm really happy with how it turns out. I love that color of the blueprint. That I don't indigo kind of look to them. So. Yeah, look forward to that on the upcoming podcast and probably post that on the Instagrams at some point too. Mm-hmm. So there you go. Got my, got the Koenig lathe sold yesterday. It's gone. And the guy, so I posted it for sale on Friday. We drove up to Mankato to get, um, I bought a topper for my truck and it looks ridiculous. Like <laughs> Ben Strano sent me a message said, I'm pretty sure my whole house fits in the back of there. So if I'm like, well, if you ever move yeah. to Des Moines, we'll just drive your house. Yeah. Is it yeah. two story? Uh, it is. <laughs> it is. Well, okay. So here's the thing, right? I feel like the topper chose me. I didn't choose the topper. That's how usually how it, was it works. Like, it was like 20 minutes from our friend's house up there. So it's like, Hey, we're going to come up for the weekend and I'm going to get this topper at the same time. It was the right color for my truck. Toppers are really expensive. Like I didn't realize how expensive a topper was. Now I know the only people that buy toppers are retired people. So they, <laughs> they don't really care about the price because they're done working, you know? Right. It was the right price. Cause it was used the right color. It just happens to be a high top. Like it's, it's tall. <laughs> it looks goofy as heck, but you know what? It was sure nice to be able to drive stuff into the dumpster at work yesterday without it blowing out of the back end of the truck. So right. I don't care. Um, yeah. But I posted it, uh, that Koenig for sale on. So I sent it out to the Des Moines Wood Turners. Like, okay, somebody's going to grab it, right? Like, it's a such a cool little lathe. There's so many weird things with it. Not a single email. I'm like, that's hmm. weird. So I turned around and put it on Facebook Marketplace um, before we left Friday at 5. And by the time we got up there at nine, I had 12 messages about it. Well, I'm like, should have put a higher price on it. Um, and I talked to one guy on the way up there that he was the one that actually came and got it yesterday. But then I had another guy. I was like, Hey, you said somebody's come get it Sunday. I'll come get it tonight. I'm like, <laughs> I'm out. I'm not there tonight. Sorry. So <laughs> but this, I felt bad for this poor guy. Cause he bought it. Uh, lives up there by Ames and he, he's never turned before. He's like, yeah. I'm retired. He's like, you know, my wife passed away a couple of years ago. I uh, sold my farm. He's like, I just need hobbies. So uh, this sounds cool to me. I'm like, all right, mm-hmm. awesome. Here's how all these things work. And his eyes got like this big. <laughs> and I'm like, have fun. Don't hurt this yourself. Is, yeah. This is the hobby. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Just, it's, it's all about the accessories. Just yep. go to the Koenig Lathe YouTube channel. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Well, and that's. That's what he's like. Is there any info on these lathes online, or is there a, ma- a book? Do you have a book with it? I'm like, nope, and you won't <laughs> find anything either. <Yeah. laughs> so sorry. So the guy at least has my phone number. If he has any questions, I I showed him how everything worked the way that I understand it. Mm-hmm. I took pictures of it and I sent them to him. So like, here's okay. how I showed you how to set this up. There you go. So I gotta say though. It's nice not to have it in here because it was just on rollers kind of rolling around. So feels good. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. Because I know you had, uh, we talked about this 
in another podcast, there was a little bit of an attachment to it. There was because I was, well, okay. I had a little bit of a vendetta because I tried to buy it during our company auction and I did not get it. <laughs> so when I finally got my, got it in my grasp, I was like, yeah. Um, but in reality, you know, Pat was here helping me move stuff in. Right. He's like, listen, he's like, are you ever going to use it? I'm like, I, I mean, I'd like to, he's like, yeah, but are you going to? And I'm like, <laughs> <laughs> I feel like you're Damn asking you the wrong questions. Man. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's like, that's not how you should phrase that question. Mm-hmm. And then just, the, th- yeah, it was just your trophy lathe. Yeah, it's my trophy lathe. <laughs> well, mm-hmm. and then the, the other thought was, okay, I know enough turners that we've talked about holding classes here, like weekend classes. So Jimmy come up for a weekend and teach class, you know, in, in the shop. He's and Pat's like, listen, if you paid, you know, 750 or a thousand bucks for a weekend class, would you be happy getting stuck on that lathe? I'm like, Oh, why'd you put it like that? Right. Stuck on why? How about you why get to why, use a Koenig? Yeah, you, yeah. Yeah. It's the privilege of using the Koenig. So, you know, it was one of those things. I'm like, okay, sometimes you just need somebody to put it in perspective. So, yeah, but it was nice that I went to somebody that's going to use it. Yep. Now I got cash to buy another tool I don't need, which is that vertical mill. I have to go pick that. I talked to him this weekend, so I got to go pick that up sometime soon. So, okay. Yeah. And now you have a space for it. Not, not really. <laughs> no. <laughs> I mean, theoretically, yes, but no. Yeah. Uh, although, to be fair, so my, the, way, the way that everything's sitting in my shop right now, by my entry door from the outside, uh, I have two sawhorses that have a bunch of alder on them still from, from this paneling. Um, yeah. That alders for the rest of the trim that is not finished yet. So, like, when I move that, like, there's actually still room in here. I just got to get other stuff done first. So. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, considering that every shop is a work in progress. Oh, yeah. Oh, 100%. Do you feel like there's parts of your workshop that are settling into a format? Because it feels like that front half, what I would call your front half of the shop, is more or less in place, right? Yeah, like where my where my workbench is, the the chest, the the tool cabinet, the table yeah, saw, your table saw outfeed. Yep. Yeah, this is all like you know, table saw sitting right next to me. Yeah, it's all that's all pretty much where it's gonna go. Um, the only thing that that needs to move um, or is gonna come in here and get put in place is the uh, the radial arm drill press. Um, okay. That's gonna go in the corner, kind of you know behind you guys right now, um, corner of my office in the shop. <laughs> yep, back there. Uh, and other than that, everything else is pretty much going to stay where it's at, um, for the time being, you know, the workbench will change. Um, the, the tool cabinet probably is going to change at some point, but, um, tool wise. Yeah. That's where it's all going to go. Um, I did get pictures today of, this was cool. And I didn't know Oneida did this. So I, I don't know if I mentioned this on the podcast. I ordered a new dust collection system from Oneida. Right. Um, because the, the supercell I have is not big enough for everything in here. Um, so I ordered a new dust collection system with the piping. And that feels a little 
feels like I'm committing a little bit. Mm. Once that piping goes up, you know what I mean? It's a little bit harder to move stuff around. I mean, you can, you could do it and we're, yeah. we're doing it in our shop there right now too. Um, but I feel like that's, that's kind of, that's not the scary thing, but that's the thing where it's like, oh, okay, now stuff's actually getting to where it needs to be. Um, yeah. because plumbing's going to go to each tool. Um, the drops are going to go where they need to go stuff like that. So, yep. So now the real question is, I really want to bring that Oliver lathe in here. It just is so damn big. It is so big. Right. And because of the little like camel back type motor mount that's on it, it has to sit away from the wall, like a foot and a half. Yeah. So I can't just push it really tight up against the wall. Um, but I feel like it needs to come in here. So I'm going to have to figure that out. Yeah. But all right. Yeah. Yeah. And the beat goes on. Mm hmm. That wraps up another episode of the Shop Notes podcast. If you have any questions, comments, or smart remarks, you can put those in the comment section on our YouTube channel, or you can send that as an email, woodsmith at woodsmith.com. This episode of the Shop Notes podcast is presented by Epilogue Laser. Quickly and easily customize your woodworking projects for added beauty and value. Learn more at epiloguelaser.com podcast is also brought to you by the folk who subscribe to Woodsmith Magazine, Shop Notes, and Popular Woodworking Magazine, and uh, our various other products that go with it, like Woodsmith Unlimited and Popwood Plus. So I would encourage you to check out those items and subscribe as well to keep us keeping on. Otherwise, we'll see you next week on the Shop Notes podcast. Bye, everybody.